Well, hey, good morning. Brandon, where are you at, man? I think he's, man, dude, thank you for sharing your story with us, dude. Wow. Powerful, powerful. Well, hey, good morning. We are celebrating the most important day in human history, and we've chosen for our theme, Darkness to Light, because we really believe that really captures the essence of our Christian hope. And you know, we need hope. The, the, the world today is so full of so many things that would discourage us and cause us just to wonder, you know, where is God in all of the mess um, and all the struggle and all the, the drama that we see and, and, and the heartache. And so we're going to talk about that today. Um, you know, as a kid, I went to church. My parents took me to church and I didn't always really appreciate fully what Easter meant and why it was so important. Um, and in a lot of ways, uh, kind of my takeaway from churches growing up was the focus really was on Jesus dying on the cross, right? My big takeaway was that um, God is good and I'm really not, <laughs> but God in his love for us and his love for me came and died on the cross to be my substitute, to take what I deserved on himself, right? And that is critically important. But I really didn't really think too much about today, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. It was almost a footnote to what happened on Friday. The focus is so much on the cross and on the crucifixion that you just kind of like, any rose from the dead, now let's go on, you know? And it's like, wait a second, um, let me think about that whole any rose from the, the dead claim. That's a pretty important, right? Um, and as my life kind of grew and my faith kind of grew and developed, I started to really investigate what the earliest disciples said about Jesus. When they started to preach to people about Jesus, they would talk about how important it was to know he died on the cross. But the central claim of the earliest disciples was that Jesus defeated death. The thing that set Jesus apart from any other person was that Jesus was alive after he was publicly crucified. And so that was really kind of a shift for me um, in my early kind of walk with Jesus, kind of into my 20s and 30s, I started to really recognize that. But then I really started asking myself a question, like, do I really believe that? Like, it's really nice to say Jesus rose again. And I know why we celebrate. I mean, that's, that's pretty amazing, right? But what does Brad really think? What do I really believe? In fact, I want to just share that I think it's so easy for us to just kind of go through the motions. Maybe you went to church and you kind of got that same kind of big idea, but truly, like, have you embraced the resurrection of Jesus? And, and I want to just ask that question of you this morning. Like, are you really, are you really someone who says, I know he is alive? You know, let me, let me say, I, I know there are different um, people in our audience today. There's, there's different groups here today, right? You have some that are, they, they would be in the more skeptical camp, right? And somebody has uh, invited you to church or they bribed you to church because they're going to go to lunch afterward and you're not normally a church person. That's great. That's fine. We are so glad you're here. Um, in fact, uh, you, you just find believing in that kind of thing hard, right? Can I just say, I so sympathize with that. Like I am, I'm a, I'm a skeptic. Like I just am wired that way. I can't just turn off my questions. Uh, it, faith comes really hard for me personally. And so I just want to say, if that's you, if you're on that kind of side, I really resonate with that. There are others here this morning, maybe that you really, you really want to have hope. You would like to have hope. Um, but if you're being honest, you, you come to this point in life where you realize that, you know what? No hope is better than false hope. 
You had situations happen. You've had relationships that you had hope in. You had a job maybe that you thought was going to work out. You had a, uh, something else in life that you, you thought would turn out differently. And that hope has been lost. And, and so you just realize, you know what? I'm kind of, a, I'm kind of cynical. You know, I'm, I'm just, I'm not really someone that wants, that, that wants to go through that again. You know, it's the whole thing of like, you know, shame on you, you know, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, you know, shame on me, right? And that could be you this morning. You're in that middle kind of, I'd like to believe, but it's really, I've been through some hard things. Or maybe there's a third group and there's a lot of us here that you've really kind of come into this walk with Jesus. You have been transformed by the love of Jesus, you have been, you, Jesus has met you. You don't really um, need any more convincing because you know he's alive because you've met him, right? You've been transformed by his love. Uh, like Brandon was sharing in his story, you can say, I've met Jesus in some way. And I'm in, a, I'm, in a, I'm in a faith community that's nurturing my faith. And so wherever you are, whether you are on that spectrum, what I hope to ha- today happens is that the needle moves for you. I hope that some, some of us go from maybe, I'm not so sure, to, wow, there's more to this than I realized. Or maybe you're in that middle group and you're just like, you know, I, I actually believe that I have been wrong about what the claims of Jesus are. And then maybe if you're already a believer, you're like, you know what? I have been reinvigorated this morning by the truth that Jesus has defeated death. It has been like injection of an adrenaline into my faith. And I am, I am even more committed and more convinced to share that good news. I think that all of us can take a step. And I hope that those of us that are in the farthest place away from Jesus, you're able to be convinced fully to follow Jesus by the end of today. I am laying my cards out very clearly. I am here to convince you. Really, I think that's what the Holy Spirit's job is to do. So I'm praying he does that today. And I want to just go on this journey with you. You ready, church? Let's do this. Okay. So I want to start, we, we said it's going from darkness to light, and I want to start with the darkness today. Because I, you might find this interesting, that the original uh, you know, audience that was there, the eyewitnesses to all these events, as we have the, their written records in the Bible, um, I want to show you that maybe you haven't really studied this before, and maybe you have some preconceived ideas, but these guys don't show, sugarcoat anything. That what's really fascinating about the New Testament, especially for those that maybe don't haven't read it before, you might have a preconceived idea that, that these were believers and they just kind of wrote things because they were believers. These guys, these guys struggled. And that's what we're going to see today. In fact, the eyewitness accounts are, are, are so um, raw and, and unadorned that they don't leave out, they don't leave out the things that maybe even like make Jesus look bad. I mean, they are raw. I want to show you that in Matthew. Look at Matthew's account of the last hours of Jesus's life near the last minutes. Look how he records Jesus's death. Matthew chapter 27, about three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, Lama Sabathani, which means my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? This is utterly shocking. If you were a disciple and you had followed Jesus, you had given kind of everything to follow Jesus, this rabbi, this teacher, this person you believe maybe would be the Messiah that would actually take out Rome. You've left everything. And now instead of taking out Rome, he's been taken out by Rome. He's on a cross. And then you see what you can hardly imagine, the horror of hearing your Jesus, your Messiah, cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It doesn't get any darker than that. It doesn't get any more raw than that. 
Matthew is just recording what he saw. And however we interpret these words, however we understand what this means, we know he's quoting an ancient psalm. However you understand that, it doesn't soften the shock of hearing Jesus, God forsaken, crying out in the darkness. John, another eyewitness to the death of Jesus, he records these words. He says that at Jesus' last breath, he, he breathes, it is finished. And then he gives up his spirit, John says. The very next verse is really interesting. So John has just recorded his last words, Jesus' last words on the cross. And then John, look what John writes next. This is interesting. He says, the soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus and then those of the, of the other. So if you probably know, Jesus was crucified with two on each, on each side. There were three crosses, two on each side of Jesus, one on each side of Jesus. These, these were criminals who had been uh, probably found guilty of, we think, mostly causing riots against Rome. Maybe they were um, revolutionaries trying to start a rebellion. We're not sure because crucifixion was really only reserved for either slaves or enemies to the state. It really wasn't the, the normal way to, to kill someone in the Roman Empire. It was reserved for slaves or people who were a direct threat. So here we have these two on each side and it's near the end of the day. The Jewish leaders realize once the sun goes down, that starts the Sabbath day. So they want this death to kind of hurry. And one of the ways they would hurry death for a crucified victim was to break their legs. That would instantly bring suffocation on because they could no longer breathe without pushing up. But they, so they break the legs of the two behind next to Jesus. They get to Jesus and the text tells us that they see that he's already dead. Look at this. When they came to Jesus, they, they realized he's already dead. So they didn't break his legs. One of the soldiers, however, pierced his side with a spear. Immediately, blood and water flowed out. Now, why this is interesting is because John seems to be going to graphic detail to explain that Jesus died. Remember, these are Roman executioners. They're professional killers. They kill people all the time. In fact, if you didn't kill the person you were assigned to kill, it would be you, <laughs> In, the, in that person's place. They had a deep motivation to make sure they did the job well. And so these Roman executioners kill people all the time. And so the interesting thing is that John seems to find it important to make sure the reader sees and understands that Jesus was dead, right? They say he was already dead, but just to make sure they take a spear and shove it into his chest cavity and it was obvious he'd already died before then because the bodily fluids had separated and now we see just blood and water just pouring out of the side of Jesus. But not only does John say that in graphic detail, what he says next is even more interesting. Look what he says next. This is a report from an eyewitness given an accurate account. He speaks the truth so that you may continue to believe. Now, why does he say that, right? Because it's like, let me put this in our term today. He's like, guys, I was there. I'm telling you, I was there. He was dead. Like, I'm gonna, I'm, I need you to get me here. It's like he's grabbing you by the shoulders. Look at you. The guy died. I swear he was dead. Give me a Bible. I will tell you on a Bible, the guy died. That's really what John is saying here in our terms. Now, why does John need to go to graphic detail to show that a professional killer did his job, like big deal, right? And that he is going to put his hand on a Bible because of what happens next. 
John realized that what happens next is going to be hard to believe. So you need to believe him that the guy actually died on Friday. All right. So what does happen next? Well, all four of our gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all record that what happens next is that Jesus, some of Jesus' disciples, two men, two men, interestingly, that we don't know a whole lot about, which is really fascinating for a different reason I can't get into today. But John, uh, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea go to Pilate and they ask for the body of Jesus. They're secret disciples, John tells us. Joseph is a wealthy man and he has his own tomb, family tomb nearby where the crucifixion took place. And he says, can we put Jesus in the tomb? Again, the sun was setting. They had to do this quickly because of the Jewish Sabbath laws. So they, he gets permission. We also know that there's several women who were present and they also watched exactly where, where, where the body was put. So Joseph of Arimathea, this guy Nicodemus, these women, they're all there and they take the body off of the cross. They place it into the tomb or Joseph's tomb nearby. We also know that the guards know exactly where Jesus is posted or uh, buried because they're posted to guard the tomb later. So it's a very well-known place where Jesus was buried. So we have this positive death on the cross. We have a clear burial in the tomb. And then we get to chapter 20 of John and we get to, to Sunday morning. I like Sunday morning. Here we go. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. Now, this is really fascinating. You may be unfamiliar maybe with, with the way that tombs were in that period. Um, they're not kind of how we bury today, like six feet under. They, in this period in history, in the Jewish, uh, you know, in Jerusalem or in, in the surrounding areas, they would try to, especially if you're wealthy, they would carve a, a, a family burial plot out of, a, out of a rock, kind of like a cave, in fact, I was in Jerusalem last year at this time, and we were on a tour bus, and we were traveling, and the tour bus driver says, okay, guys, we're not going to stop here, because there's not really a place to stop, but what, when they cut the road out for where we were driving, they actually were able to d- uncover a first century um, burial, or tomb, a first century tomb, and you can see it from the side of the road. Um, and so we're going to slow down and you want to take a picture, you can take a picture. So this picture I'm going to show you was on the side of the road. Like I, I, going to Jerusalem is so cool. It's like, what's on the side of our roads? Like, I don't know, rocks, you know, here it's like, wow, there's a first century tomb, <laughs> right? Well, if, what you can't tell is see this circular stone right below where those weeds are. There's a channel that was actually carved in the ground and that, that stone could be rolled along that channel and it would seal the front of the tomb. This isn't Jesus' tomb, everybody, okay? This is just from that period what one looked like. So that's what, that's what Mary sees. She sees this stone rolled back. All right, this is, this is fascinating. Look, look what uh, she ran and she found Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. I love that. She said, they've taken... Look at what she says. They've taken the Lord's body. Notice what she doesn't say. Jesus rose from the dead. She doesn't say that, right? Guys, I want to say something. We think that skepticism is kind of like a modern thing. That people in the ancient world, they're just like these naive people who are superstitious and they're easily, you know. Guys, listen, what I want you to catch today is that none of these disciples believe Jesus rose from the dead. 
at first. Not one of these disciples, even when the tomb was empty, do they automatically say, well, he must have risen from the dead. None of them come to that conclusion at first, right? At first, here's what they first think. They think what you and I would think, right? Somebody is messing with Jesus's body. Let me drill down on that a little bit. Imagine what you've just seen if you were a disciple of Jesus. You've just seen your friend, the person that has just changed your life, the person that has said things you've never heard before, have loved in ways you've never seen before, has done miracles you can't explain ever before. You've seen that person get mocked and spit on and whipped and put on a cross. Guys, your world has been shattered on Friday. And so now you come, you come to Sunday morning and you're there. The women are actually headed there for the purpose to try to do some honor, honorable anointing of Jesus's body. They're actually in another one of the gospels talk about like they're wondering with each other, like who's going to help us move that stone because they want to do one final like act of, of honor to anoint the body of Jesus because it was so quickly done on Friday that they, before they head out because they all live in, in Galilee. They all live 90 miles away from here. And I think they're doing this in the dark because they're afraid because maybe they're next, right? So they've been hiding during the Sabbath day. They come out early on Sunday to do this. And, here, and now here you have, you have Mary saying, well, somebody's messing with the body. In fact, I would assume they're probably wondering, you know, I bet it's round two. I, be, I bet they didn't have enough fun on Friday with Jesus. And maybe they're going to like pull his corpse out and do something just terrible with it here today. And so they're running back, and we don't know where they put him. In fact, um, we know that Mary is not alone. We know Mary's alone, not alone here. She's got other women with her. And when you read Luke's account of this, look at what Luke says. Let me flip over there. It says, um, it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. But look what the apostles' response is. But it sounded, the story sounded like nonsense to the men. So they didn't what? Believe it. So there's not a, an initial belief at all in this. In fact, they're probably skeptical that the stone is even moved. They're just like, what are you talking about? Peter jumps up in verse 12. It says, however, Peter jumped up and ran to the tomb to look. Stooping in, Stooping, he peered in and saw the empty linen wrappings. And then he went home again. I just got to believe kind of like scratches. What? What is going on here? Because when he looked inside the tomb, it's not just like the body was dis, you know, taken because the, the linen wrappings, the, the, the burial cloths are left behind. So this is getting really weird, Right? Luke is just like, what is happening right now? Or Peter's saying that, Luke's recording that. So I'm going to make two points real quick as, as we're in the meat of this, guys. Number one, the disciples are not expecting a resurrection. It wasn't like they're all hanging out like, okay, guys, who's got the countdown, you know? Okay, where are we at? Oh, we've got eight more hours. All right, man, in eight hours, here it comes, right? Like, they're, they're, not, they're, not, they're not expecting this. In fact, like I said, they are devastated, they are devastated. And number two, here's really important. The empty tomb was not enough to convince them that Jesus was alive. And it wouldn't be enough for, for you or me either, right? So, so I want you to get that really clear. They're not expecting this, and the empty tomb is not enough. So why did they 
become convinced? That's the question. Because here's what I want you to get. I don't care where you are on that spectrum of belief. Here's something I want you to understand. Guys, I don't know what you believe about Jesus today, but I can definitely tell you what they believed about Jesus today. And what they believed to a person, they became utterly convinced that Jesus of Nazareth, the same guy they saw dead on Friday, was bodily raised from the dead on Sunday. They believed that to a person, and they were all willing to suffer, and many of them died for that belief. That's powerful, powerful evidence. That's a powerful truth today, guys. I want you to hang on to that, because we're going to need that in just a minute. Okay, so what flipped the needle for them? What made them go from what did they do with his body to he actually, he actually is alive again? Like, what was it that flipped it? It was Jesus that flipped it for them. It was Jesus appearing to them. And this is where the story gets fun. You guys ready to have some fun this morning? This is where the story gets really fun. And I just got to think that what Jesus does is almost like the father, like letting Jesus have a little fun on Sunday because Friday was really tough, right? <laughs> so what he starts to do, what Jesus starts to do is he starts to appear to his disciples, like out of nowhere, right? I, I can't go through all the stories. I'd love to share them all with you or we'd be here really long. But there's one story where Jesus is kind of walking or these two disciples are kind of walking and Jesus kind of, you know, kind of, kind of comes up behind them. You know, I just love this. Kind of comes up behind them and they're just like, man, you believe it happened? That's terrible. You know, they're having this conversation and Jesus kind of is like, hey guys, what are y'all talking about? And, and, and for some reason, they don't recognize Jesus. And they're like, well, man, what do you mean? What are you talking about? Don't you know what happened? He's like, no, I don't know. What happened? Are you the only one in the whole town that doesn't know about Jesus? No, tell me about Jesus. I just love that. Jesus is so funny, man. You got to check that out. That's Luke 24. Do that on your own. I'm not teaching that story. I'm teaching a different one, okay? That one was great. So after that whole scene, those disciples go running back. And they're like, guys, you would not believe like, Jesus just appeared, and then he just disappeared. It's crazy. All right, look at this. Luke 24. This is in the, in the evening of Easter, Easter evening. While they were still talking about this, about that, you know, where Jesus appears to them on the road there, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, what's up, guys? I just love that so much. And he just, Jesus just appears out of nowhere. And he's like, peace be unto you. Like, that's so good, right? They were startled, <laughs> I would say, and frightened, <laughs> thinking they saw a ghost. Guys, this is very understandable, right? Every one of us, if we were there, we would have this, is this a ghost? Like, I haven't seen the exorcism yet because it's 1900 years before it's being made, but maybe this is what's going on here. There's something wild is happening. Is this a ghost, right? And so Jesus has just appeared to them and he's, he says, peace be unto you. They're frightened. And then verse 38, look what he says. Why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your minds? Man, I just feel the spirit. That God, that God wants to actually ask you that question right now. It's like Jesus wants to lean in and he wants to look at you right eyeball to eyeball and say, why are you troubled? Why are doubts arising in your mind? Man, we have been through a lot, haven't we? We've been through a pandemic, uncertainty everywhere, wars everywhere, death and decay everywhere. 
and doubts and fears and troubles arise in our hearts. And I think the resurrected Jesus, he just wants to say, guys, I got this. Why are troubles, why are doubts rising in your mind? Why are you troubled? Look at my hands and feet. (laughs) Remember when you saw those nails go through on Friday? Look at my hands and feet. It is I, myself, it's me. Look, touch me, come here, touch me. And see, a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. And then it's almost like, like verse 40. It says, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. Notice this, guys. While they still, let's all read it, did not believe. Guys, I'm telling you, these guys are not these superstitious, naive, you know, people of the first century that don't know any better. These are normal human beings who realize dead people do not come back to life. And they are having trouble believing what their eyes are telling them and their hands are telling them. They are literally struggling right now. And the resurrected Jesus looks right at them. (laughs) I just think this is great. He says, it's almost like you could see Jesus, like picture Jesus' facial expression kind of change because he realizes they're not believing. Like what, you know? And it's like, okay, Peter, give me some of that fish. Like, come here, I'm going to show you, I'm going to eat this fish in front of your face, right? Like, I think that's so great. It's, so they give him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Guys, that's, that's what moves the needle. That's what goes, that's what takes you from a skeptic, right, to a believer. From someone who says, I know I saw him dead, and I know dead people don't come back to life, but I know I'm seeing him alive right now, and he just grabbed my fish sandwich. You're like, what's going on right now, right? Like, this is crazy, right? But they're not all convinced, because there's someone not there. And we all know this guy. Doubting who? And I think that's such a sad like, moniker for him because I think most of us are doubting Thomas. Yeah. We can look at Thomas and say, man, that guy. Guys, I'm doubting Thomas. I told you that from the start. Like I'm wired to be questioning. It's hard for me. I, I just can't shut it off. I, I have question, then another question, and another question. That's why the resurrection, I'm so thankful for it because the evidence is so rock solid. Finally, in the resurrection, I was like, oh, my heart can rest. I might not know all the answers because there's a lot of them, but here's one answer I do know. Come on, somebody. Jesus rose again from the dead. I can hang on to that one even when the other ones I don't know about. Because I might never know the answer to why God allows some of the things that happen in this world. I might never figure out why kids get cancer. I might never know why some of those things happen. But here's what I do know. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That son died on that cross on Friday. And that buddy, he was awake and alive on Sunday. That's amazing, guys. And you wonder why I get excited. Guys, because I'm a pastor. And pastors sometimes have to be in the worst places with people going through the hardest things, get phone calls to go to the hospitals to be next to children that are hooked up to chemos, chemotherapy, or, or called out to, to, to when the worst news is being delivered to a family or brought into a funeral at the worst moment. And I know, I know our police officers and our firefighters see far worse than I do, but I've seen enough, guys. I'm, I've been around enough pain 
to know, guys, I'm so thankful that death doesn't have the final word. I am so thankful that when I tell people there's hope, I can look at them with conviction in my eyes and I'm not giving them a piece of false hope. I'm giving them the real thing because Jesus really lived, he really died, and he really lived again. And that's really good hope. Man, that's really good hope. So we don't have a service after this one. So I can go longer in this service. (laughs) I just noticed that. Okay. Let's talk about Thomas. I got to hurry. Let's talk about Thomas. So let's talk about Thomas. So Thomas isn't there. Look at Luke. Luke says, go back one. Yeah, no. Yes, you're right. You're right. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, which means twin, one of the 12. So he had a twin brother or sister. um, One of the 12 was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So when Jesus like popped in and asked for a fish sandwich, he wasn't there. Guys, we miss a lot of Jesus when we don't show up with the other brothers and sisters. We miss a lot of Jesus when we separate ourselves from the community of the faithful. We miss some Jesus, guys. And I know, I know one being in the universe who really wants you to miss Jesus. And he's got a forked tongue and he says nothing but lies about why you shouldn't be around the community of the faithful where Jesus is at. So he missed Jesus So the other disciples told him, hey, we've seen the Lord. What's really fascinating about this, wherever Thomas was, whatever was going on with Thomas, when he gets back and he he sees Peter on fire, he sees, you know, John, he sees all the guys. And they're like, dude, we saw Jesus. It's not just the women saying it, it's like all the men too. Like, I don't know about women, but I can believe men because that's how they felt in that day, right? They're all saying it like, whoa, here's the deal. Thomas, he has a decision to make. What's interesting about Thomas, he's really in the same place you and I are in. Because Thomas has to make a choice. Am I going to believe the testimony of reliable witnesses? He knows Peter isn't making this up. He knows Peter is a, a very like stubborn person. He's been around Peter for three years. He knows Tom, he, or he knows Matthew. He knows, he knows all the guys. He knows everybody there. He's been with them through thick and thin. They're all to a man and a woman saying, Jesus was here. He ate his fish sandwich. I mean, it's, 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 look, right? And Thomas says these words. Let's look at them. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger where the nails were and my hand into his side. Let's all say this. I will believe. You know, we look at Thomas as like a, a skeptical person, person who needs evidence. I don't see Thomas that way. Because someone who needs evidence, who's logical, doesn't say that. That's someone who's hurt. Someone who says that kind of thing is someone whose heart's been broken not whose mind needs convincing. You got at least 10 eyewitnesses right there in the room, along with the women who are all telling, you have plenty of eyewitnesses. That's enough to convict anybody in any court of law. You've got plenty of evidence that Jesus must have been there. But Thomas is saying what he's saying because his heart is broken, because Jesus has deeply disappointed him. And he got his hopes up once. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice. That's, that's Thomas. That's some of us today. That's some of us today. And you know what? The enemy, he works overdrive trying to keep us separated from God's love, keeps sowing 
spitting lies into your minds about how God doesn't care about you and how God's disappointed you and things happened. Guys, instead of seeing Jesus as the manifestation of the invisible God, instead of seeing Jesus as the embodiment of who God actually is, if you can't imagine Jesus being indifferent to your cares and indifferent to your pain, then you should not imagine God that way. Jesus was the most compassionate, most loving, most inclusive, most compassionate person that ever lived. That is exactly who God is. But the enemy, he will work overtime convincing you God doesn't care about you. He, he has favorites and you're not one of them or what you've done has so disappointed him that he doesn't want anything to do with you. God is, is not the picture that Satan is painting. And, so, and so, so I think right here we have Thomas and he is so just heartbroken but I want to show you what God does. Man, this is who our Jesus is. Eight days later, the disciples were together again. This time, Thomas decided to go to church. Smart move. He's, he's with the church. The doors are locked, and Pinkaboo Jesus comes showing up again. I love that, man. It's like, what's up? Peace. I was just thinking this, like, if I had that power now, I'm like, my kids would be terrified, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> I know this room's locked, and I know there's nobody in there, but all of a sudden, you know, I start shaking the bed or something. I, I don't know. I could just use that power in a bad way, I think. Poor, my poor kids would be traumatized. But the truth is, the Bible says I will get a body like Jesus, so maybe in the future, I'll get to traumatize them this way. I don't know. Okay, so eight days later, <laughs> I gotta be serious again. Eight days later, this time Thomas is there. The doors were locked. Suddenly, as before, Jesus is standing there. Peace be with you. And then Jesus, look at this. Hit that next one for me. He said to Thomas, it's like zeroes in. <laughs> right at him. Hey, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand to my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. You know what's so crazy about this? Jesus wasn't physically present when Thomas's doubts echoed off the walls, but he heard him. Sometimes we don't realize it, but Jesus hears it when you cry out. He isn't, he isn't far away. God isn't distant from us. We might not be able to see him, but he's present. He hears you. I love this. What Pastor Craig Rochelle says, it's such a powerful word. He says, the reason why God whispers instead of shouts is because he's close. He's not far away. He doesn't need to shout. He's close enough that a whisper will work. The enemy works overtime, making you think God is far away when he's not. And Jesus heard every one of those painful words that dripped out of Thomas's mouth. And he says, don't be faithless, believe. I think that's what the Lord's saying to some of us today. Don't be faithless, believe. Thomas says, my Lord and my God. He says the most powerful declaration of, of faith in the entire Bible. He looks right at Jesus and he says, my King, my Lord and my God. And he bows in front of Jesus, the king. And it's, in this, this next verse, it's so powerful. It's as if John, 
is writing the story and, and, you, and you're engrossed in that, in that scene of Jesus and Thomas and this beautiful picture and, and there's been amazing paintings. There's a Caravaggio of, 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 of him touching the side of, of Jesus. It's just like amazing. So that scene's just happened and it's as if John just writes the next words and it's almost like the character Jesus looks up out of that scene and looks into the future and he says these words. You believe because you've seen me. And it's almost like the gaze of Jesus picks up and looks. Blessed are those who believe without ever seeing me. It's like Jesus looks right at us and says, yes, Thomas, I gave you an extra revelation of who I am. But I want to I talk to all those millions and millions and millions and millions of people in the future who've not yet even been born. And they're going to have to rely on the witness of credible testimony. They're going to have to just say, these people, they went from skeptic to believer and they gave their life for it. That is enough evidence for anyone to convict anybody in the court of law. And it's enough evidence for me to say, I don't quite know how he did it, but Jesus was dead on Friday and he's alive on Sunday. I'm flipping over to a committed follower of Jesus. And when you open your heart up to Jesus, he pours his Holy Spirit, his living presence right into your life. And you're transformed by this love of Jesus that you can't explain. You start to talk to your friends like, I don't know, man, I met Jesus and my life is different. I can't explain it, but I know he's near me. I read the scripture and he speaks to me. I'm with this family and I hear him. I feel his love and feel his embrace and nothing's the same. And I have hope even in the hopeless situations of life. I have hope. And that's where we are today. 2,000 years later, we're talking about this hope. And I want to I wanna just ask you a question. You know, I, I want you just to think about something today. Because some of us here are struggling with really just embracing this. And I told you this whole sermon that I struggle with belief. I'm a skeptic. But let me, tell, let me just say something to you. My friend JD and I were talking about this. Uh, and and this, I think this is powerful. You know, skepticism, it's something that we struggle with. But you know what turns skepticism into unbelief? It's our pride. Let me tell you why. Because sometimes God will come and he'll give you evidence. And he'll give you truth. And he'll put people in your life. But here's what happens. I'm naturally skeptical. But because I'm not humble enough to just accept the evidence God gives me, I turn into somebody that becomes a hardened unbeliever. I become a cynic instead of a believer. Because that's the thing. Evidence that comes into a heart that has pride turns into a cynic. But evidence that comes into a heart of humility says, God, I, I might not understand this fully, and I might be struggling right now, but I trust you. I bend my knee to King Jesus, and I receive you as my Savior. Don't be a cynic. Be a believer today. There's evidence here for you if you'll receive it. 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul was preaching a sermon about Jesus, and he's preaching this sermon in Athens. He's preaching to a bunch of philosophers and he, I want to show you how he ends his sermon, and that's how I'm ended my sermon. In Acts chapter 17, he says these words, go to 17. They heard Paul preach about the resurrection of the dead. Notice what some people do. Some of them laugh in contempt. 
They're, they're saying, oh my gosh, Paul, who are you? And what is this idea of a resurrection? Are you kidding me? And they're laughing at Paul 2,000 years ago on top of this, this Areopagus site in ancient Athens. They're, they're these philosophers who are proud and, 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 and full of themselves, they're laughing at this little Jewish man who tells them about Jesus the Messiah who rose from the dead. Now what's crazy about that, guys, is that laughter and that contempt, that mockery of Paul, that hasn't aged well. Because 2,000 years later, none of us have ever heard of those guys, but all of us have heard about Jesus. That's pretty wild. In fact, I would tell you, it's easier to believe that Jesus has risen from the dead today than then, because 2,000 years of history has shown the transforming power of Jesus on this world. People mocked Jesus. They mocked the resurrection. They laughed at the idea. Who's laughing now? Guys, we're talking about Jesus today. We're not talking about the Stoics and the Epicureans today. Those mockers and those laughers, those scoffers, they've died without hope. We read the writings of Paul and marvel. We experience the living Jesus and we're blown away. There was another group of people that day. The first mocked and laughed. The others, they said, you know, we want to hear more about this. We're not totally there yet. We want to hear more. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you're like, you know what? Okay, you move the needle some. I want to hear more. I'm going to keep coming. Yeah, please. Guys, you can, you, can, you can belong here before you ever believe. It's okay. Just come. Just come. Just come and meet Jesus with us. We're all imperfect, but we're following the guy who is perfect. And just come with us. Come with your doubts. Come with your skepticism. Come with all that stuff. But just keep your mind open because if you're humble, he'll reveal yourself to, he'll, himself to you. He'll, he'll, he'll receive anyone who comes. And so maybe that's you. And then there's that third group. And the third group said, no, I can't explain it. I don't know. There's something happening. There's something weighty about your words. There's something gripping about this hope. I can't totally understand why, but I am flipping this thing as just spoken right to me. I'm confessing Jesus as my king. I want you all to stand with me today. And I want to end our time with giving you an option, giving you a next step. And, and guys, I think, let me tell you something, guys. Following Jesus always has a next step. Jesus, we call it following Jesus because he's moving and we have to keep following, taking steps. And so everyone here has a step. Everybody has a step. Some of your step is you need to bow your knee to King Jesus. You have never humbled yourself under God's authority. You have lived as your own king. You've called the shots for your whole life. And if you're honest and if you're being real, your life isn't going well because we weren't meant to run our own lives. We were meant to live under the authority of our creator. And what you need to do right now is you need to surrender to Jesus the King. You need to come to God and you need to say, God, I have done wrong. I have rebelled. I have tried to call the shots. I surrender to King Jesus right now. Right where you stand, this could be your step and your step is a step of faith and your step says, God, I want Jesus to come into my life. I believe he died on the cross. I believe he took my place. I was the one who sinned and he was the one who took my sin. I trust in Jesus. I trust him as my savior. 
and I make him my king. That's your step for some of you. Others of you, your step is, man, you have allowed the enemy to sow seeds of doubt and, and, and really anger in your heart. And you've been separated maybe from the community of, of church. You've allowed things to kind of keep you away. Guys, you'll never find a perfect church. You'll never find a, a perfect group of people to walk with. But guys, that's not what you need to be looking for. You need to be looking for a group of people who try to follow Jesus seriously, e even in our failures, even in our struggles, but we're serious about it. And you need to commit yourself to those people and say, you're my brother, you're my sister. Let's walk together in, in authenticity. Let's call each other out. Let's be that, that, that awesome family of God that we're called to be. And so some of us, your next step is to commit to a community of faith. And others of it, your step is, Lord, today I was reminded again of the hope. I will be even more bold, even more committed, even more on fire with the good news of Jesus because I know you're alive. And one day, Jesus, you will return and so I'm recommitting myself to Jesus. Once more, the book of Luke says that we put our cross on our shoulders every day. And so today that might be what your step is. With every head bowed and every eye closed, give me one more minute, church. If you've never put your faith in Jesus, if you've never bowed your knee to King Jesus, I'm gonna ask you to do something really bold. If today's the day you're gonna say, Jesus is my King, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand boldly up. Yes, I am making this decision. I see hands all over the room. Who else? I am making the decision. I am not ashamed. I believe Jesus died for me and I receive him as king. All over the room, I see hands up. Now listen, if your hand is up, here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to call out to Jesus right where you are. Call out from the deepest part of your heart. God, I need you. I put my hope and trust in Jesus. I know you died for me. I believe the promise that you made, that if, I, that if I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart that I'll be saved. God, I, I, I believe the promise that anyone who comes to you would not be cast out. And so I'm coming to you right now. I receive Jesus. Make this your prayer. Right where you stand, I receive you, Jesus. You died and rose again for me. If you made that decision, we really wanna follow up with you on the QR code in front of you, as was mentioned earlier, please take a second and indicate you follow Jesus today. God, I'm praying for anyone today that made that decision. I pray that in two weeks, they would boldly get baptized in front of the whole community, then not ashamed to identify with Jesus. I pray that we would just really follow Jesus that you would be king at work and king in our lives at home, king everywhere over all of us, Lord. God, help us to worship you because you gave everything for us. In Jesus' name.